Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cube, the Cube, the Cube, the Cube, the Cube. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 91 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I am your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. I almost forgot. To, oh, my God. You forgot who you were? <laughs> yeah. Cindy, so. make note of this. <laughs> anyway, this episode, Brendan, we got at least one thing we're going to talk about. And we might be talking about two things. We got something kind of we're on Audible, as you said, right? Yeah, we're going to call an Audible based on how long we talk about the first thing. Yeah, so the first thing is... <laughs> Beasts of Chaos get ice picks, which is really cool. You know, as we've talked already... Well, there's the White Dwarf review. All yeah. right, so... <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a sea change for these guys. It really is. Significant. Well, we went from saying that we really don't do White Dwarf reviews unless they're important. And by that, you know, we mean impactful. And we said, you know, look, we're going to do the Osiric Bone Reaper one because this changes, you know, a fundamental part of their game state. On preview, we have the White Dwarfs in our hand. We don't have to look at grainy images of photos. This is singularly the most impactful White Dwarf update for Age of Sigmar so far in 3.0. Absolutely. The only other one that I would put this in comparison with is the Seleski host for Slanesh. Okay. Back in 2.0. It's huge. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a bottom feeder army. I say that with love. I own a Beast of Chaos army, and I, I wish it yes. was good. With all due respect to all yeah. of our listeners at Beast it, Armies. And it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Like, it is going to have a meaningful impact on tournament play. It mm-hmm. is going to change and make decisions on what stuff is winning events. Great. That's great to hear. We're going to talk about that, and we're probably going to go a little bit further than just going over what's in the White Dwarf. Brendan put together a couple few lists. We're going to do a little Some bit Some more of, serious than others. Yeah, a little bit of list tech to talk about and try to to, you know, show application to these things. We may or may not, as we said, call an audible and do something on events and tournament stuff. We'll see how we are for time and, and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So that's it for this episode. And so with that, we're going to head on over to Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendan, hobby for you. Super easy. I keep working on this Depticon project. I finished mm-hmm. up the first 10 Graveguard, and I started working on the White King on Horse. I'll probably finish up the White King on Horse tonight. And that is just a beautiful model. I want to see what you do with that. It's got a lot of stuff. It's like you're actually putting colors to the details of it. There is just more and more and more that comes out on it. I'm like, oh, like, oh yeah. how am I going to you know, visually break this up so it's not too much of this or too much of that? And I added some blues and things like that in there to help break up the, the cloth colors. But yeah, we got that. And then it's going to be 10 more Graveguard and then the last hero. Okay, perfect. And you got a little more in the four weeks. I just keep plugging away. Out. I don't think I'm in super crunch time yet on it, but if I don't continue this pace... There's going to be some crunch, and that is going to be unpleasant. Yes, always. So. When you start feeling the pressure. I mean, some people thrive on the pressure. They love it. I just don't like detail I, painting under yeah. pressure. If I was under pressure to just, like, throw together a tabletop-ready army, mm-hmm. no problem. Sure. Piece of cake. 
okay. too easy. Even if it means cracking off bases of other models and putting them on there for the time being. Right. I got that. Okay. This... Time, time, time. Mm-mm. Just got to make sure great. I use it wisely. Coolio. You've painted so, up a Belladama this week? I finally got her done. I'm going to show a it to you. A different kind of wolf. At our break? Yeah, very nice. And it was interesting. Like you talked about the detail. The more I looked at the model closely through my telescopic lenses, you know, that I have strapped to my head, the more I realized, oh my God, there's more detail. There's some more gold stuff. There's some more little details on the coat. And it was like, oh my God. So I just have to keep going back and forth and making sure I caught all those things at some point. I think she turned out great. I'm really happy with how she looks and how the base looked. I put some uh, spikes on it, kind of some pieces of honey locust to make it look really, you know, vampiric Mm. as it were. And then I got my spell portal done because that was the very last thing I had to paint up because I'm going to take that endless spell as part of her little bag of tricks. It's such a good spell for her, right? Turning yeah. things into wolves. And one of the limitations is, quote unquote, the range. But you know it's range 18. And when you chuck on a spell portal to it, mm. you can pin some <laughs> stuff that doesn't want to be pinned down. Yep. That's really helpful. So that's all done. Everything for Gibbering Dome is finished which is great. And then I actually got my figs for free blades. So I built and primed eight metal models, which are always lovely to do. A lot different than gluing together plastic. But those are all finished and primed and ready to paint. I've got a couple more coming probably in the next week or so. Uh, And that's really my hobby project in the next couple weeks is to try to get most of those done. Since it's not for Sigmar or any Warhammer thing, I'm probably going to keep the palette really small because I would say on average, probably 10 to 12 colors that I have on most of the models I paint. And this, I'm going to try to keep to like four or five colors, make it real simple so I can just knock them out and not have to worry about them. I was thinking about how many colors I use for some stuff mm-hmm. as I'm working on this oh, yeah. Adepticon project. Mm. And I have maybe six browns that I use. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Yeah, like four or five colors, Dan. Oh, yeah, it's going to be easy. (laughs) I couldn't do that if I tried. (laughs) You know, my silvers are at least four colors. Right. Yeah, Yeah, I think I could do it. I'm going to try. Again, these are simple models, and people who are playing that game aren't going to, you know, it's not like the hobby part of it's a really big deal. Mm -hmm. So uh, that'll be easy enough. And the exciting thing for me is because, as we talked about last episode, we're moving. We're going to be heading out to another home, and I'm actually going to have my own hobby space, which is really, really nice for the first time in many years. I love this island that we record on. It's been amazing. I painted, what, three armies now, if I count my soul blight, because mm-hmm. my daughters and my, my ghosts and now soul blight your, on this. Your space wolves? Yeah, my wolves that I had. Painted all those here, but it'll be nice to have... Your soup destruction army? There's <laughs> more than three. Yeah, man. I guess it was, yeah. Four, four armies. It's really great that I'm going to have a place to you know, put my paints where they can just stay there all the time and all the other things and have a place to just leave my stuff and not have to move it so that we can do other things on the workspace. So that'll be really, really cool. And I actually looked on Etsy at paint stations because they have a whole bunch of MDF stuff and ordered a few things. And so that's really, really cool, though. Great. And we're actually going to use the desk that we had in our kind of office here at the condo where Cindy was working when she was working from home. And we're going to use that for my uh, hobby. Cindy gets a space, though, right? We have that new desk that you saw. Okay. So, yeah. And we also have a kitchen counter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. Just saying. I just wanted to make sure that Cindy was appropriately represented in these negotiations. Yes, of course. Of course. Yes. Yes. 
She has been, believe me, yeah. <laughs> she's shaking her head up and down. Yeah, she's good. Nodding as opposed to shaking, I guess. Um, <laughs> then we have the White Dwarf 473 came out yesterday. And yeah, the we, meat of our discussion today. Yeah, which is the main thing we care. There's a lot of 40K in here because there's new Warcry stuff. There's new Kill Team stuff. There's all kinds of things floating around. But our focus, obviously, is going to be in Emperor Lies on uh, Beast of Chaos. Now, there were, in terms of Sigmar stuff, there were four boxes. They're not really, as you said, they're not really starter boxes. They're not anything. No, they're, they're just a bunch of models that... It's a web store one-click bundle yeah. where you can buy a couple of units or boxes that you were going to buy. And if you buy these four things together, you get a piece of art, You know, one of the prints from one of the boxes. Mm-hmm. To my understanding, there is no discount. No. Nope. It is just... It's, and they're all price point right around 250 mm-hmm. plus or minus. It's really it. Other than the paint bundles that came with them, there's also two paint bundles that are... Which, again, is just you buy all the colors together. There's yep. no discount. No. It's just paint. A bunch of paint. Yep. I was mistaken in terms of Army Painter Speed Paint. The only thing that came out this past week was the starter box. The full-blown Speed Paint set isn't coming out to the end of March. The date was March 26, which I find interesting because I think that may be the Saturday of Adepticon, and I'll be really interested to see if Army Painter, who is almost always represented at Adepticon in the vendor area, if they have those mega boxes there. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting, and hopefully they will, but I'm definitely going to go out for the starter box and, and give those a try Great. Um, if I can find them. They're supposed to be in the stores. The other thing that was kind of a surprise online that's back online is Blackstone Fortress. Hasn't been there forever, and those who know about Blackstone Fortress realize that it was gone a long time ago. It's back online if you want to buy it for some reason, <laughs> uh, which was kind of interesting to see. The Aldari rules, a bunch of those in 40K came out. There are ways to give guardians invulnerable saves. It's almost like those Tau drones, but it's kind of the Eldar version of that. You get like a five up involved. And then the other thing that was kind of interesting is they can charge out of webways, hmm. which is if the enemy gets close enough to the webway, they can bring in and charge in the same time they come in. Huh. And it's the range doesn't matter or something. I can't remember exactly, weird. but it's a weird... That's a cool mechanic. It is. It's really interesting. And there were different rules for different units that show how powerful they're going to be now and lots of rend and lots of damage and things like that. So if you're an Eldari player, I'm sure it's a very exciting time. Uh, Total War Warhammer 3 has dropped. It has. It dropped two days ago. Have yes. you picked it up or taken a look? Yep. Or I finished the prologue. <laughs> yep. Already, man. Now, is the same guy narrating it the same? Oh, yeah. yeah that's cool. Because Sean Barrett is the guy who's read several Warhammer books that I like uh, and a couple other series, kind of fantasy series. So I really like him. Yeah, very cool. And you're enjoying it so far? I finished the prologue. I have some like storytelling issues I had with the mm. prologue. I won't get into it because it's all spoiler-based. No, you play Kislev, right? Isn't there? In the prologue, you play as Kislev, yes. Okay. Now, in the Total War Warhammer 3... You can play as Kislev, Grand Cathay, Demons of Chaos, all of the four Chaos, and I think if you buy it within the first week or you pre-order it, you know you get the Ogre DLC. Oh, free. cool! So my first campaign is going to be as the Ogres. And Ogres would be like Beast Claw and stuff like that as well. It would yeah, include all just, that. It's just Ogre. Everything. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Very. It's, cool. it's fantasy. So it's now the one thing I saw that people were concerned about was the siege part of it seemed really complex, and some people were. It sure seems that way. Yes. Concerned that you couldn't like simplify it, or obviously you can have 
can you still have like the machine resolve it for you? Yeah. Okay, you could still do that yeah. if you wanted. Okay. Yeah. But that was the one thing. Otherwise, people were very. The only high thing on you it. can't auto resolve is quest battles, which is no different. Right. You That's still the have same. to play those. Prologue had some very cool quest battle games too, which I think was neat. And there are some parts of it that were just inordinately frustrating, you know, where they recommend that you do the prologue even if you've played Total War Warhammer games before. And I was like, fine, whatever, I'll do it. But some of these things are like these unskippable, basic explanations of stuff. Mm. I was like, I wish I could turn this off. I was like, I know how to do this. <laughs> I just want to see the things that are new that I don't know how to do. Right. And select the unit and right click to move forward. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. It's move it here. <laughs> Okay, I get it. Ranged units are vulnerable in close combat. You're like, yeah. oh my god. There was a point where I'm sitting there and I just, like, okay. You just gotta get through whatever this is. That's crazy. Yeah. Coolio. It's neat. Nice. Games played other than Sigmar. Obviously, we have a lot going on with our move and everything. We started to kind of pre-pack some stuff. But I packed away all my non-Sigmar stuff, pretty much. All my, like my new B-17 game and some other stuff that mm. I would have maybe broken out to play. It's all packed up and ready to go. I have still, surprising, I'm sure to most people, been playing some Civ Beyond Earth. But the other thing I started again was a new campaign of Dawn of War 2. Mm. Love that game. I love the balance between the storytelling part of it where you have to make some really like strategic choices and the really tactical part of it but I love that the choices aren't linear like you have to decide am I going to decrease the Tyranid infestation level or am I going to save the strategic asset and those are really cool kind of decisions because they're not linear and I love that kind of a game because you don't see that very often in- well it's tough to do right like it's one of those things where if it's not balanced correctly, it can really spiral out of control on you early, mm-hmm. and it becomes one of these fun games because of how difficult it is, or it becomes one of those games that you just never touch because of how difficult it right. is. Right, it can be. Yeah, so that's been it for me otherwise. How about you for other stuff? Started playing Total War Warhammer 3. Yep. Been working on Wasteland 3. Mm-hmm. So we went to Denver, and Denver's one of the first places you're supposed to go in the main storyline, but as I said before, we did a bunch of side quests, we leveled up, we went and got the characters we needed and and kind of did this in not the correct order. The Denver area is way lower in terms of level of, Challenge all, level. of all of the guys that are there versus our character levels. And you've got a bunch of different choices. There's like one like clearly kind of good choice in there. You're like, well, you know, we're not doing that. And we're just like, well... I think the most evil thing to do here is just to kill everybody. <laughs> God. Because uh, in Denver, they have like the strategic oil reserves for mm. the guy that you're working for. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll just install you know, somebody there that, that works for us. Yeah, so we did that. That was kind of straightforward, kind of easy. So next we're going to clean up the side quest. We're going to do the second of the two DLCs and then you know, work through finishing the game that way. Okay. But we've taken care of two of the three you know, like main quest points that we're supposed to handle. So okay. now it's just, let's see how high we can jack that level and sure. do whatever is most evil to end the game. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, any Sigmar games that you got to play? No, just lots of painting. Lots sure. and lots of painting. Right now, if I'm considering what to do with my weekend time, painting. Sure. Painting and painting and painting and then taking a couple of breaks to do whatever. Not paint. Yeah. (laughs) So I can go back and paint. Right. 
The only event thing that we're aware of right now is obviously Adepticon is a little more than four weeks out. Yep. And we're both getting ready for events we're playing in there. After that, I think really we've got, isn't like the main things are July. We start doing like indie, we do Midwest Meltdown, those kind of things or. Yeah. Yeah. The next thing I'm signed up for in terms of on the calendar is ATC in July. Oh yeah. And that's it. The signups for Gateway Open are live. It's the same weekend as NashCon again, so... Yeah, and I'm Irish Fest out this year, so I'm out of NashCon. Yeah, I don't have a lot of PTO this year. Yeah. <laughs> so Priorities, we talked about that yeah, offline. That, uh, the choice is personal versus game stuff. Yeah. yeah. I can't think of anything. I really gotta figure out when I'm going to have Brew City this year. It's, mm-hmm. That's on the list. Not high on my list, but it's on my list right it's now. It's still thinking like general time frame, September sometime that's probably. That's my aim, yeah. Because you got a gap in there between August and October. That's about it. I mean, right. there's not a lot of openings. All right. Then if that's it for Whispers, we are going to move on to Emperor Lies. Woo. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. We're back with Emperor Lies, and we are going to focus this part of the show on the (laughs) Beasts of Chaos White Dwarf update. When we look at this, we're starting out, and really, it's the Creatures of Chaos, the new monstrous rampages. I mean, that is where it starts. Right. Where do you think we should start? Should we start with... I think you got to start with the Herdstone. Herdstone? Okay, let's do that. So, the Herdstone got a new War Scroll, and actually, in the White Dwarf, there's like a cardboard punch-out. That you can use for a War Scroll card. Yeah, yeah, which is great. I like that. Cool product. In addition to that cool new punch-out, you get a piece of terrain, which was... It was good before. Now it's... Bonkers, as you like to say. It is game state altering. <laughs> yes. Only Beasts of Chaos can include this faction terrain. Cool. Fair enough. Makes sense. You set this up wholly within your territory, more than three from all objectives and all other terrain features. It's impassable, so you can't put models on it or anything like that. I'll start with the maybe the less impactful of the two rules, because originally what the Herdstone used to do was it used to be an area of effect where you were immune to Battleshock mm-hmm. as a Beast of Chaos player, and it handed out a minus one save characteristic to anything that wasn't Beast of Chaos. And this aura expanded every turn. Every turn. The Locus of Savagery, after you set it up, its range is 12 inches, so you get a six inch increase off of what it was before. At the start of each battle round after the first, its range is increased by six. Cool, fine, fantastic. If a friendly Beast of Chaos unit, wholly within range of this feature fails a Battleshock test, have the number of models that flee from that unit rounding down. Mm-hmm. Cool. In addition, if a friendly Beast of Chaos unit wholly within range of this terrain feature receives the Rally Command, you return one slain model to that unit for each four up instead of a six. Now, I'm just thinking of distances here, and after, you know, at the start of the second battle round, mm-hmm. this is going to be a 36-inch bubble. That's huge. When you think about the size of the board, that's a very significant area of effect for your army. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be right next to the herdstone. Yeah, and obviously that's most beneficial to larger units of things. Four up rally is pretty good versus a six up rally. And that's good for just any unit. Sure. But that's obviously most impactful to larger units. You already have super low bravery. It's a bummer that you're not immune to battle shock, but when you pair it with this other rule, it's probably a good thing that you're not outright immune. <laughs> of course. Because the other rule is the entropic lodestone. Improve the Ren characteristics of melee weapons used by all friendly beasts of chaos units on the battlefield by one. From the start of the third battle round, improve the Ren characteristics of the melee weapons used by all friendly beasts of chaos units on the battlefield by two instead of one. That's just insane. That's awesome. What this means is that 
if you are playing a Beast of Chaos army in the Beast of Chaos Allegiance in the book, you get a Herdstone for free. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. your terrain feature. That's how terrain features work. If that terrain feature is alive, so that means that somebody hasn't used the Smash to Rubble ability, which you would lose all of the abilities off of this, right? just like any piece of terrain, your whole army gets an additional rend for free. Gores and your Ungores are rend one. Your Bestigores are rend two. Your Minotaurs are rend two, rend three. Your monsters are all rend two. Your Doombull is rend three. It's staggering, you know, especially when you consider that part of what was so frustrating as Beast of Chaos is your limited access to Rend, right? You know, you had things that had, you know, Rend 1 scattered throughout, which is good. But in the age of save stacking, you have a hard time getting through what you need to get through where and when you need to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, now you have as much as you want wherever you want to have an Ungor Raider be Ren 2 in close combat, one of the wimpiest combat units in the army, and thusly the game, to be Ren 2 late in the game is terrifying. If you have Bestigors, because there's summoning mechanics this army as well, which would benefit from this, you summon in units of Bestigors later on in the game, and they're coming in at Ren 3 by... By whatever it is that... <laughs> they run and charge into. Yeah, yeah by... <laughs> yeah, that's pretty it's crazy. Awesome. That's that just is, crazy. That alone should normally increase the price of your army. Typically, you are supposed to be paying for Rend and mm-hmm. other things that make your combat profile good. It's intrinsic in your points. Yeah, It should be, right? Yeah. That's part of an esoteric calculation that goes on in the game. Right. Fine. Your whole army just got Rend 1 for free, and if it had Rend 1, it's now valued at whatever Rend 2 is in that system. Mm-hmm. And as the game goes on, it's Rend 3. I'm not going to belabor this point much longer. But aside from Night Haunts, <laughs> this is a what I would put on the table as a deeply concerning prospect. Mm-hmm. Because it is not difficult for a Beast of Chaos player to field 100 plus models mm-hmm. in, you know, dozens of units. Of course. You know, it's, it will not be a one-drop army, let's just... No, I don't think you should ever aim for a one-drop army in Beast of Chaos yeah. under any circumstance. Right. You have ambushing. You have the ability to come off of board edges. Mm-hmm. You have the ability to surround. You have the ability to be fast. You have the ability to be in many places at once with, you'd say, death by a thousand cuts, but you know, if it's death by a thousand steak knives, like that's... Yeah, ice picks, ice picks. Everybody's got one now. Yeah, that's a big deal because it changes the core of your army fundamentally. I mean, could you imagine bone splitters with rend? Oh, that that would just be obscene. That's what this is. Yeah, yeah. You just got bone splitters with rend. Kind of a big deal. You do pick up additional monstrous rampages, which I think are nice. You know, Dan, I want to start working yeah. through them. We so so it's another is, five, right? So these are ones you can use in lieu of. Well, your in normal. addition to right, yeah, yeah. So the first one is Primal Roar. You roll a die, and one nothing happens. Two through five, you receive one Primordial Call point. Primordial Call being the summoning mechanic. Yep, the summoning currency. And on a six, you get three Primordial Call points. Hey, part of what that means is you're reliably going to be getting three per battle round. Mm-hmm. You'd always get your one. You know, you have a chance of sacrificing other stuff, but you don't have don't to do Don't you get that. something for the Herdstone? Well, you can sacrifice things near the Herdstone. And get another. And get more, exempting that. Mm-hmm. If you have a monster, you should be doing this one 
pretty much every turn, generate those points faster, summon faster, because one of the things that you used to do was you used to spam all herd and that amulet's the Aether Quartz brooch or whatever it was, and you just hope that you rolled a bunch of fives. This is a good way to help keep that engine going. So if you do the sacrifice, on average, you're going to end up with five a turn, which is pretty good. Mm -hmm. If I remember correctly, 10 is where things really start to go bonkers. I believe chimeras are 10. Free chimeras, yes, please. That's uh, quite a welcome prospect. So this is one more source Mm -hmm. for that currency. Well, it means that every two battle rounds, you can reliably summon something that's worth 10 points. Right, which is a kind of On, on average, right, yeah. yeah. So there's a different cadence that is going to occur. You could roll a bunch of ones, you can roll a bunch of ones on the sacrifice. You could also roll sixes. So yeah. All good. And great, no problem. The rest of these are all unit specific, which is a little different from most monstrous rampages. Mm-hmm. The first one is Gorgons. It's Feast on Flesh, and only a Gorgon can be picked to carry out this monstrous rampage, and the same unit can only carry out this monstrous rampage once per battle. Improve the Ren characteristic of this model's melee weapons by one until the end of the following combat phase, already realizing that they're going to have plus one or plus two to the rend. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. In addition, until the end of the following combat phase, each time an enemy model is slain by an attack made by this model, this model heals the number of wounds equal to the wounds characteristic of that slain model. Healing mechanic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you very much. We'll take that. Very nice. Yeah, the only thing that's swinging with it is a lot of their stuff hits on fours. You can fix that with a yeah. little command point. Yeah, make it threes. The next one is a Cygor, who typically has something to do with magic, and in this case it does. It's called Devour Spell. Only a Cygor can be picked to carry out this rampage, not once per battle, whenever. Pick one endless spell within six inches of this model and roll 2d6. If the roll exceeds the casting value, the endless spell is dispelled. And this model heals the number of wounds equal to the 2d6 roll. Good stuff. Yeah, it's not bad. We'll take it. it most people take at least one endless spell. Not all the time, but a right. Lot but of it means do. you're taking a Cygor. They throw rocks. You know, nice. Okay. It throws a rock. Yeah, a rock. A big rock, though. One rock. <laughs> one attack that hits on fours and wounds on twos. Awesome. Ooh. Okay. The next one is Entropic Miasma, and this is the Jabber Slide. Can only be used to do this monstrous rampage. You pick one enemy hero within three inches of this model and roll a die. One nothing happens, two through five. Worsen the save characteristic of that hero by one until the end of the following combat phase on a six. You worsen the save characteristic by two until the end of the following combat phase. Pretty good. Yeah, not bad. And it's important that it's the save characteristic that gets worse and not to the roll because with the roll, you can offset it with all out defense and mystic shield and best day ever and all that stuff. This is modifying the characteristic. Mm-hmm. which means that if you worsen it by one and you're a three up, you're now a four up. Mm-hmm. And the best you can do from there is a three up. And then you throw all the rend up of course, on top yeah. of it. Nice. The wording on that, I think, is very important. The next one, then, the last one is for a chimera. Mm-hmm. And it's Thricefold Savagery. Three heads, thrice full, can be picked to carry out this monstrous rampage until the end of the following combat phase. Add one to the attacks characteristics of this model's melee weapons, but all attacks made with this model's melee weapons must target the same enemy unit. And the thing that's most interesting Oof. with that is there are four combat profiles that the Chimera has. Mm-hmm. So one of which starts at Ren 3. <laughs> You mean starts at Ren 4. <laughs> well, if you take it in a piece of chaos yeah, army. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. Good stuff, man. So these it's are neat. Really nice. Yeah, you know, they are. I think the first one is probably the most important. I think it plays a important selling point to either always have a cockatrice or a 
Dragon Ogre Shaggoth in your army mm-hmm. to always be doing Primordial Call. You want to always be summoning. You want to always have that engine ticking so that you're bringing things on the board, even if it's just stuff in bulk. Sure. Right? You know, or you bring that right size monster in at the right time mm-hmm. to go do some damage. You want to just keep plugging away. You want to keep going. Okay. So then the next thing that we pick up are grand strategies and battle tactics. Yep. So the new grand strategy, when the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are no enemy units within nine inches of your herdstone and has not been picked by a successful smash to rubble monstrous rampage. Fine. Put it in a corner, make it hard to get to. I think that that's where you're probably going to put it most of the time anyways now. Mm Mm-hmm. That and you're going to paint a big crosshair on it. Just <laughs> <laughs> Like the expanding bubble I think is neat, I think is good, but I don't think it's anywhere near as purposeful and useful as additional rend. Yep. So it's an element of your army you want to keep alive anyways. I don't think it's a bad grand strategy. Your heroes are all squishy. Your wizards are all squishy. All of your units are squishy. It's not a bad one. Mm-hmm. Is it the best one? I don't know. But unlike some of these other ones that we've seen where you just go, yeah, okay, cool. This one's worth considering. Yeah, I think it's worth thinking about. Okay. And then we pick up three battle tactics, Yep. two of which I really like. The first of which is in the shadow of the herdstone. You pick one enemy unit within nine inches of your herdstone. You complete this battle tactic if that unit is destroyed during this turn, which you want to do anyways if they're near your herdstone. Sure. So next is Fury of the Wild. This is one of the ones I don't like. You can pick this battle tactic only in your first turn. You complete this battle tactic if the model picked to be your general and two or more other friendly beasts of chaos units are within three inches of an enemy unit at the end of this turn. You never want this. Sorry, never's a long time. You almost never want this. <laughs> okay. It means that whatever it is, you didn't kill. It mm. means that whatever it is that you have engaged with is probably going to beat you up next turn. Like, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, a base of Nurglings. That base of Nurglings is probably going to take down some of your very squishy guys with them. Mm-hmm. It's also only in your first turn. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think you want to be largely pinning your opponent into their space and then attacking from all different angles with the right stuff at the right time. A surgical approach to pulling it apart instead of throwing your whole army into their whole army and just going, I have more dice than you. My stuff is more rend. Hopefully that will solve my problem for me. Sure. The last one is Wrath of the Warped Wilds. I really like this one. I think this is one that pretty much every Beast of Chaos player is going to use at some point during their game. Okay. Pick one objective controlled by your opponent. You complete this battle tactic if at the end of that turn you control that objective and it is contested by any models in your army that were summoned with the primordial call battle trait. Perfect. You should have someone else. You just got to keep track of that. That's going to be important to you as a player to make sure that you have managed that correctly. Mark it somehow, yep. Yeah. To know which ones were summoned. Right. And sometimes it's, my army didn't start with any monsters. The monsters were the things that were summoned. So, yeah, duh, obviously. But as far as what that means for match play, that's it. That's the only updates. You get you know, Path to Glory, you get a campaign in there. Yeah, yeah, cool, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. Super fun. So, question then becomes, what does this mean for my army building future, right? Sure. Well, the good news is, is I think it's very difficult to build really bad Beast of Chaos list now. Okay. Hey, Ren solves a lot of issues. My perspective and my philosophy on Beast of Chaos has been field as many units as possible in as small of chunks as possible. And in 3.0, now that there's a reinforcement cap, having big units I don't think really does anything for you mm. anymore. Because the big unit that was really useful was Ungor Raiders. Well, they can never be battle lines, so they can only be reinforced once, which means that they're 20s. Not super keen on that one. You know, for instance, one of the first lists I threw together was a Dragon Ogre Shagoth, 
So yep, you, you can talk about the vet. benefit of summoning. So yep. you always have them for summoning. They have a spell that reduces the save of your opponent. Or sorry, it increases the rend on one of your units called the Sundering. Or sorry, Sundering Blades. Sundering Blades is pretty solid. You mean more rend? Well, I mean... <laughs> more rend. <laughs> It, it's other applications of save modification, right? You are already benefiting so much from having all of this stuff. Yeah, it casts on a seven. You pick a friendly unit whole within 18 inches. And until your next hero phase, you improve the rend character so that unit's melee weapons by one. Mm-hmm. Sounds good to me. By two or by three in this iteration now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nice. It's not bad. So the first list I threw together was... A Beast Lord, a Dragon Ogre Shagoth, a Great Bray Shaman, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten units of Bestigors and four units of Gores. So that's ten times ten. So a hundred Bestigors yep. and forty Gores. And the forty Gores, their job is to screen out the hundred Bestigors, or they're gonna come in from other sides and other angles. Okay. Which serves as the counterpoint to the I looked at that and I said, well, what's the most extreme version of this kind of list? Okay. Which is a Beast Lord, three units of Ungors. you got to have your battle line covered. Mm-hmm. And then I believe this is 26 units of Tuscor Chariots. <laughs> That's just insane. It's so stupid yeah. in a good way. It's really dumb. <laughs> and your whole job with that list is to go out and be a parking lot. Right. Ungors and Gores are always battle line. The thing okay. that changes is based on your general, which, you know, if it's a Bray Shaman or a War Gore, best of Gores become battle It's a line. Doom Bull, it's Bull Gores. It's Bull Gores. Right. If it's a Dragon Ogre Shagoth, it's Dragon Ogres. Right. And building around Bull Gores and Minotaurs, things like that, is actually pretty good. If you take the foundation right now of a Minotaur army and you say to yourself, Doom Bull, five to six iterations of Minotaurs, they, you know, you can either group... By Minotaurs, you mean... Bulgors. Bulgors, yeah. yeah. Okay. Group them up into, you know, one reinforce. I would never go to reinforce on them. And really mm. one is pushing it in my mind. You know, there's value in having that kind of extra bulk around. You know, you can make use of. But coherency limits you to foreign base, basically. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. But that's a decision that you acknowledge and understand on the front end. Right. I think with the new Minotaurs, you're almost always going axe and shield. Number one, you have more attacks. It's base Ren 2 on those guys, and you have more instances to try and trigger Blood Greed, which is an additional mortal wound. And when you say it's base Ren 2, it's base it's Ren with one the new and Ren 2 right. with the Herdstone. Herdstone, okay. Got it means it. you're tipping over into Ren 3 as the game goes on. There's really not a lot that is going to stand in front of that and do very well. The issue and the struggle with most of these armies is going to be that so much of your stuff hits on fours. Mm-hmm. So you have to find ways to get extra hitting power out there and the dirge horn trumpet blast thing endless spell is an extra to hit bubble that you know you can cast it on the field and do you yeah. know how big it is or i mean it's on like a 40 okay and but I mean, it's an area that expands as the game goes on oh, okay you can use that and that's a way to get a cheap plus one to hit obviously you're going to have command points that you're going to want to spend for all out attack all out attack but you're also going to have a lot of command points that you're going to want to spend to keep a unit from running because your bravery is terrible sure army wide you know thankfully that's one of the balances to this Mm -hmm. but if you leave one gore standing next to a unit of long strikes Mm -hmm. they're gonna have to they have to shoot that yep they have to do that Mm mm-hmm that's probably not what... Well, 26 chariots or 10 units of Bestigors, whatever, they're just going to flood the table, man. There's not going to be a whole lot of room to deep strike or to even move or maneuver. Yeah, and 
you know, philosophically, one of the things that when you're doing list building, I would say target three points in terms of drops. Either be a one drop, which is obviously the fewest drops that you can be. Mm Mm-hmm be a four drop which is slightly above average you know i think Mm -hmm. the average at events is like 4.7 or something like that or be infinity drops and as a beast of chaos player be infinity drops there's not a lot of value in getting that down to you know trying to shoehorn it into one Mm -hmm. now you can take a bunch of battle regiments and get down to you know that four number or even the two, depending on I know what. my wolf list is four drops, which mm-hmm. is really nice, yeah. You can try and get into that space. But I think that there's a lot of value in shoehorning as many units into this list as possible, taking a bunch of stuff, putting it off the table, and living that way. And one of the things that you can do is... Beast of Chaos has some of the dirt cheapest units in the game. Razor Gores are 55 points. Chaos Spawns are 55 points. Yeah. Cool, man. Take a bunch of those... Half your units can be off table, and you can do the Dark Walkers mm-hmm. sub-faction, yeah, right. where everything gets the ability to be a unit that can be deployed off table. Basically, as long as you're Thunderscorn or you know Bulgore, whatever the Minotaur keyword is. Okay. One of the Minotaur, the Bulgore lists that I put together, was Gave Spawn, which is the one where you get extra attacks, command ability through Chaos Spawn. Mm-hmm. So a Doombull, three Bray Shamans, and then... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven units of Bulgors. Of three. Seven of three. Yeah. Three units of Ungors to act as screens, and two units of Gorgons. The Doom Bla- two Gorgons? <laughs> the Doomblast Dirgehorn, and yeah. then two Chaos Spawn to hand out, you know. Plus one attack. Right. It's a command ability, so you can only do it once. You know, it's at the start of your combat phase, so you aren't going to be able to use plus one to hit, but that's where the Dirgehorn comes in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you are targeting just the ability to do. More damage. So you, in this list, you said seven units of three mm-hmm. Bulgors. So you don't see any value in units of six. Or you just made that choice yeah. in this particular argument. You can, right? I don't think you're making a mistake by doing it. Okay. I am of the mind that field as many units of things as possible. You can sit there and tell your opponent absolutely nothing in this endeavor. You could run this as... Dark Walkers, drop the Chaos Spawn, or maybe keep the Chaos Spawn. You deploy the three units of Ungors, you deploy the two Chaos Spawn, and that means that you can shoehorn five units off table. Of Bulgors. Of Bulgors. <laughs> or Gorgons. Yeah, Gorgons, yeah. Or the Doombull. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can do those things. Those are options. Yep. I think one of the things that really shines through in the Battle Tome is that you don't have to go be sub-faction specific and feel okay about your choices because one of the command traits for Dragon Ogre Shagoth, which is a unit that I think pretty much every single one of your list should include at least one of, mm-hmm. one of the command traits for them is you increase their save characteristic by one, mm. moving them up to a base three-up save. You know, they are going to be one of your casters, typically mm-hmm. with Sundering Blades, and you want to protect them. So one of the lists I put together that wasn't aligned to any specific, you know, sub-faction was a Dragon Ogre Shagoth General with the plus one save characteristic. Grashrak Felhoof, which is the named Hmm. shaman who has the plus one to hit spell. A Zangor Shaman, two units of Dragon Ogres, four units of Ungors, two units of Bestigors. Four Ungors, okay. A unit of six Skyfires and two units of Zangor Enlightened on discs, and obviously the Herdstone. A different list where you're going to use your speed to apply force in a more specific way. Mm. Obviously, Skyfires don't pick up the rend on the ranged weapons, but that's 
not really an issue in my mind. They already have intrinsic Ren, though, don't they? Yeah, they do. Okay, yeah. They're movement 16 with range 24, <laughs> which is... Anybody who's going around on Screamers gets to 16, yeah. Yeah. Those things are amazing. Um, you know, sixes to hit are D3 mortal wounds instead. That's probably one of the things that you're going to spend your all attack on, obviously, in the shooting phase. You know, in combat, there are no slouches. The things they fly on are base rend one, which becomes rend two. Mm-hmm. They're D3 attacks apiece. It's not exactly a exciting prospect to be in combat with something like that but that's where the ones on disc come in where their spears are base rend one which ticks up to rend two mm-hmm. you know and obviously they have the same mount that they're working off of sure yeah you have a lot of choices i think if you leaned heavy into any of the kind of like the three lineages you know, mm-hmm. gores bull gores or thunderscorn i think you're making a perfectly fine choice okay the thunderscorn war scrolls are the ones that are maybe the most disappointing out of all of them you know base without the rend because your choices the one that starts with the rend is the draconic warglaive two inch range four attacks threes by threes rend one damage one mm-hmm. you know that's cool but like you're sitting there looking at the crusher going three attacks, threes by threes, no run damage too. You were taking the Warglaive anyways. It was a two inch range. Mm-hmm. Now, how much does that damage mean to you? That's the question. You get free moves in the pregame. You get to reroll hit rolls of one while they're within range of the Dragon Ogre Shagos because everything that's Thunderscorn gets a, a pregame move, okay. which is pretty cool. They're not slow. You know, eight inch move. They're elite. They're pretty beefy. Yeah, they're five wounds a piece. They're a four up save. Like. You know, they're 125 points a piece. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. No, not at all. My philosophy in list building to this so far has just been drown your opponent in bodies. Just go nuts. Mm-hmm. I think this is really exciting. If not for one thing, it's maybe I'm insane in saying this, <laughs> but I think this white dwarf update to Beasts of Chaos provides an interesting problem for Stormcast lists. Mm. because it does all of the things that Stormcast lists don't want to deal with. It's a zillion bodies. You know, Stormcasts are very elite. Yes. They are great at destroying singular high-value targets. Yes. If I present to you dispersed low-value targets, what are you going to do? Yeah. Honestly. Well, it gives you a huge issue with target priority then, too. Yeah. Because you literally only have so many units to attack stuff with. Go ahead, attack my heroes. It does not matter. Yeah. Or attack my... 10 bestigors. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> right. Are you willing to make that 360-point exchange on my 135-point unit? <laughs> right. And if you split it in half and you try and target two units and you don't destroy either, mm-hmm. I'm just going to spend a point on one of them and you know, hopefully do a four-up rally to get it back. I can also come off all of the board edges. You know, I have more models than you. I have the ability to get through your armor save. I'm even thinking like with dragons, mm-hmm. you know, that Stormcast have now. Facing off against some Ren 2 Bestigors is going to be problematic. I mean, you're going to have to think a lot about whether or not you want to get locked in with them. Yeah, two attacks, four by threes, Ren 2, damage one. You're an extra attack off the charge. You know, you're probably going to spend an an all-out attack or something on. And you're very mobile. Extreme. Because being run in charge, you, yeah. You get extra movement from being near Bray Shamans. You come off board edges. You can summon things later on throughout the game. It- a unit of 10 or even two units of 10 kill a dragon? Oh, yeah. You take that trade off any day. Mm-hmm. I think you went from an army that was going to have a very difficult time winning events to one that I can see doing it, mm-hmm. which is super cool. 
I think it would be interesting, you know, with a couple of the people who did well at LVO with their beast lists, what that picture would have been like today after this came out. Sure. And and this isn't even to mention the things that you can ally in. Right. 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 Where you can ally in a Mindstealer Sphinx. Or um, a Demon Prince or something else. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. So... And the other thing that's really nice here is the Herdstone used to impact the Demon Prince negatively. Now it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. That was always one of my frustrations is I have to keep my corn Demon Prince just ahead of the bubble <laughs> so that he wasn't going to suffer from the reduced save. Yep. This is a big deal. Yep. I, it's a big enough deal to warrant, you know, one of the main segments of the show. Yeah. Man, I hope we see a lot of these at events sure, going forward. Right Beast of Chaos is one of my favorite armies. It was my first Warhammer Fantasy Battles army. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of mine are still on rectangles. I'm maybe this will be the thing that tips me over to finish up. You know what I started for that. When you're ready, I have boxes and boxes, by the way, of bases. So if <laughs> oh, you need anything, great. let me know. You know, maybe it'll help me finish the thing that I started for Wapaka 2019, where I played that kind of mixed Nurgle beast of chaos list that was just super wonky and weird Mm -hmm. that would be cool for me personally it's neat because a lot of the games that we played practice games have been against your beasts you brought them out just to give me some stuff to go against and it's always been really interesting and instructive so i'll i mean against my night haunt it's going to be the same game essentially that it was before but against my soul blight it's totally different game now well, and the decision-making changes, where it went from mm. an army where I don't want to be in combat with you in my turn, mm-hmm. it's I don't want to be in combat with you in your turn, yeah. <laughs> which changes the math, makes it interesting. Yeah, You know, you can confidently look around, you know, hoping to, to table opponents, all three sub-factions, and then the choice of a non-sub-faction, I think are good, meaningful choices, really all because they changed the Herdstone. Like, the Monstrous Rampages are cool, don't get me wrong. Right. The Primordial Call one, I think, is great. I think is excellent. Super helpful. If they didn't even have that, I don't know. I think we're still having the same conversation. Suddenly turns all of these units into pretty good ones. 26 chariots where the guy on top is Ren 2 and, you know, all the other dudes on it are Ren 1. Yeah. Good luck. (laughs) That's just great, man. Yeah. So I wonder, let's see, how far away is Bruce City? Hmm. <laughs> I can crank that up to 39. <laughs> Good luck. It, it'd be pretty cool. It, it Just would... finding that many would be insane. Oh, boy. Oh, my. All right, I think you'd it. be getting the slow play warning just right at the start. <laughs> I'm of sure. the, I understand that this is only, you know, because you'd have to have another battle line unit. Yeah, of course. That this is only 81 models. <laughs> but please roll some of these together when you get the chance. That would be great. Thank you. Yeah. For sure. All right, man. That's that. That's very exciting stuff. So we finished here with <laughs> Beasts of Chaos looking great. What we're going to do then is move right uh, this episode into Scriptorium. Scriptorium. And I think we're going to hold off a little bit on tournament planning. Yeah. You know, we'll do it just a little bit before Adepticon, maybe as a lead-in, the things or that go into it. Just because it's kind of tournament season is coming up. A lot of events, a lot of other things coming up. And also, we need to stretch content. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're just being honest here, listeners. We haven't we had are. a new battle tome since Maggotkin. <laughs> water. Water. <laughs> Please, <laughs> I need water. Okay, so we're going to move into Scriptorium. Etc. 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 All right, Brendan, we got a couple of new releases coming up. Pretty interesting stuff. We have Sigismund, Mm -hmm. the Eternal Crusader. I'm very excited about this book because, first of all, he is 
the polar opposite of Rogel Doran, who I can't stand. And the nice thing about Sigismund is, number one, he's somebody who has always been kind of on the side of people like Efridi Keeler and Nathaniel Garrow and those folks who know there's this worship of the emperor coming and he's kind of secretly done it because he knows that Dorne does not like that whole worship of the emperor thing come on that's coming up and he was chastised by Dorne multiple times in fact in front of other people I mean just totally ripped him and to have his story told from his perspective I think it'll be really really cool and for those who are not aware he was really the founder of the Black Templars he was he kind of broke away from the fists and formed his own space marine chapter there's also a kragnos book i'm not really interested in that but i'll bet you there are a whole lot of people who will be so that will be very very cool telling his story and his effects on the mortal realms and what's going on big character major character big rules a lot of people have the model somewhere if not in a box then on the table yeah then we have some re-releases as well i know there's an eisenhorn book coming out there are a couple of models that are coming out there's an imperial fist model there's a blood angels model both from the heresy so there's some other things coming out there's maps and and other stuff from black library there's kind of a celebration going on but sigismund and kragnos are the two i think most significant new releases so what about your reads and stuffs i finished listening to fury of magnus which is something we actually talked about at the and at the end of the last show it was interesting the first like 30 minutes i had to re-listen to like two or three times mm. because like it was just so weird and grindy and mm-hmm. at the end of it i sat there to myself i said i retained none of whatever it is that just occurred <laughs> and i listened to it the second time and i was like okay i think i get a little bit more of what's going on and the third time i was like i still don't totally get what's happening here but we'll plug on and it is what it is while i've been painting i've been re-watching succession you know because it's something that i already kind of know yes and oh, yeah. i you know don't really need to pay close attention to which is what I found when I'm painting, you know, kind of like high focus stuff is good and important for me. Okay. And then, you know, just kind of maintaining my usual podcasting. There's a a new documentary on Netflix that I'm going to watch here at some point. It's about the Boeing issue, you know, the, Mm. is it the 787? No. I can't remember the model. I know it wasn't the it, it was It was the recent model of Jetliner that had that whole systems design failure, which, you know, again, from an engineering perspective is, I always find some of those things kind of interesting. And it's always heartbreaking. I don't know the nature of this documentary, but it's always heartbreaking when people who don't have the technical understanding are making life and death decisions for XYZ, whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I talked about that Challenger documentary that was on Netflix and, you know, I got misty eyed because, you know, professionally, that's a position that I hope to never actually be in of, you know, having to sit there and say to my manager, like, you know, look, if this is the risk and then someone coming in over the top saying, well, we can accept that risk. And then this happens. And then this happens. Well, and when you think about aircraft, you know, passenger jets, you get on the plane, you sit there for a while and you get off the plane. You have no concept truly of everything that goes in and how complex that machine is because it's a giant machine. Yeah. And from a physics perspective, this was a failure in one of the easiest components of flight is maintenance of flights, mm-hmm. right? Uh, attaining flight and then trying to land safely right. are, are the two much more difficult things mm-hmm. than just 
maintaining flight, right? The whole control system was thrown out of whack and pilots were making incorrect decisions based on, uh, well, they were making correct decisions based on incorrect inputs. Sure. Well, it's interesting you talk about Navy pilots who fly off of aircraft carriers. They talked about even ones who have been in combat, that the two most dangerous times are when they take off and when they land. Yeah. You, just what you said. And it's true. But that's just math. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's where all the risk is. That's Very something cool. that's going to be on, on my so, list. You know, I hope it covers the subject with a lot of detail and, you know, that they really dig into, you know, I'm such a sucker. Like, I I love the thing that's aimed at people with my kind of professional backing where it like sure. if they sit there and they want to like actually, you know, do the math on the screen and be like, oh, OK, interesting. And where they talk about the development and that kind of stuff, like I'll be enthralled. Like it could <laughs> it on paper sounds super boring. not for everyone. Right. I, so we'll see what it is. Good. But I'm looking forward to it. That's great. Cool stuff. I continue to read the book I talked about, Castaway Resolution, last time. And speaking of nerding out, this book is planetology, physics, engineering. And so when they talk about things like resonance, I'm like, oh, this is is amazing. (laughs) Because I understand. And what happened was there's kind of a function when these they have space travel. And it's kind of a warp field kind of a deal. But what happened was these, you'll appreciate this as a quality person. Oh, boy. The crews maintained these warp drives, as it were, too well. So what happened was if they maintained course for a certain amount of time over a certain period of you know operation, mm-hmm. this field that they were in started resonating and it created a resonance where it literally shook the ship apart. But it was very cool and good book so far. I'm not too far into it, but having a good time with it. I'm not sure I've ever heard of something being maintained too well. Well, this was an interesting part of the story and they were talking about how something simple like changing course every so often while you're in the warp field would prevent this from happening. Mm. You don't give it enough time for the resonance to build up to a destructive level was the thing. Hmm. Anyway, interesting. Fair enough. Yeah. Put on that in hard copy. I finished The Serpent and the Saint. Brendan, amazing. Matt Farah just, he pulled so many parts and pieces into this story from Dan Abnett stuff. Uh, This is obviously taking place during the Sabbath worlds, but he brought in stuff from Titanicus. He brought in stuff from Gaunt's Ghost. He brought in stuff from Brothers of the Snake. One of the things I recommend, by the way, before you listen or read this book, you really should read Brothers of the Snake. I think it will help a lot in your understanding because there are a lot of things about the Iron Snakes as a chapter. They talk about their culture and a lot of other things that they do, the vernacular that they use, those kind of things. And if you haven't read Brothers of the Snake, you're going to be a little bit confused where all that's coming from. But otherwise, a really, really good listen. And then I started the Gothgol Hollow book, which is the one set in Shaiish. And it's really interesting because there's this beast they're kind of hunting. And it almost sounds like Radikar because it's a wolf quote, but it's also like ripping out throats and drinking blood. Like this one body was literally desiccated after this quote beast attacked it. Well, wolves don't usually do that. They'll like eat the meat, you know, and eat the body. But this thing was drained like vampirically. So I'm going, mm, oh, this is kind I of... I wonder cool. who that <laughs> yeah, could be. Right. If so, only there was some sort of wolf vampire character that's... Uh, now, I don't know that yet because I haven't gotten that far, but it mm, seems like... Yeah. I don't know. And they're shooting at it. It's not doing anything to it. Oh, vampire. Yeah. Minus oh. one to hit. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Really good Could stuff. Could be anything. And then I've started the latest Kane book, which is Emperor's Finest. Interesting in terms of timeline that this is kind of a retro book. This is before he 
got involved with the Valhallen Regiment, which most of his books are during his time with that regiment. This is before that. It talks about when he got his prosthetic hand and some other things that it explains. Pretty cool. And no spoilers here, but some more Gene Steeler stuff. Oh, man. Which is like, oh, yeah, I just listened to a book about Gene Steeler. So that was very cool. Uh, That's all my reading and listening. And then watching, I just finished Expanse Season 6. Excellent. Good. And then Cindy and I are kind of alternating between The Witcher and Jack Reacher. Watch an episode here or there, and we'll switch to the other show and watch that one. Trying to get through both of those. And you'll be happy to know I have not watched Dune yet. Oh, good. So no intervention required. Not yet. Not yet. But I did finish watching Good, Bad, and the Ugly, which I watched again. It's very cool. And these are all my workout watches, obviously. So I'm trying to figure out what to watch next. Because usually I'm on the machine for like 35, 40 minutes. So I need something to last two or three workouts you know but yeah so that's been all my stuff buddy then with that let's move on to this or that all right we're coming back who goes first i don't know okay i'm gonna go first okay all right first two questions are Sigmar questions. Okay. Good. They're both related to, they're both related to Beasts of Chaos. Okay. And the first one is, do you think, I know you put some lists together for us in this episode, but do you think you would prefer if you had to make a choice between lots of bodies or big guys? In other words, like dragon ogres or bull gores or lots of gores? What do you think would be your preference in terms of play style? I think part of what informs my decision is I much prefer the, the Bray Herd stuff. Mm-hmm. Like aesthetically, lore-wise, models, I like that better. I think your ceiling is probably a little bit higher competitively with the Bulgors. But given the choice, I'd play the flood the board, bunch of Bray Herd stuff. I'm over here. Good luck. Come get me. Okay. All right. The second one is you are in the midst of painting and constructing your Hedonite's army. <sighs> yeah. We'll get there someday. Yeah. We're well, it, it's on the side because right. right now I'm doing the Adepticon right. stuff. And you already have a beast army mm-hmm. on the table. You may fine-tune some things, but do you, given a choice again, would you play at your next event where you will have both armies ready? Mm. Would you play Beasts or Hedonites at your next competitive event? Probably Beasts. The thing that I find compelling about Hedonites right now is that it doesn't feel like an army book that has been solved. There's been a couple mm. of people that have had some good finishes with them, but they are incredibly super talented players you know, running the list that fit, you know, their style versus what they expect the meta to be. Mm-hmm. Obviously, credit where credit's due in those respects, you know, but there doesn't feel like a fixed known solution with Hedonites. Okay. That's what has my attention right now. All right. All right. You're going to buy a car. Oh, boy. No, thank you. Are you going to buy a foreign or domestic vehicle? Well, I used to work in the automotive industry, and yes. I can tell you all of the cars that are American-made that you don't want to buy. <laughs> So I will continue with buying my brands of Toyota vehicles. Okay. If for no reason, I've seen how the sausage is made here, and no thanks, I'm good. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. The next question is a pizza question. Oh, okay. Do we do thin crust or we do hand-tossed for pizza? Mm. Regular crust or thin crust? Yeah, it, it really depends, which is not a great answer. <laughs> I think I grew up in and around Chicago, so... Chicago-style thin crust pizza is the most common mm. kind of pizza I'll eat. You know, like the risottis that, I, mm-hmm. that I'll get. Yeah. 
the regular hand toss like Domino's or Pizza Hut or whatever. I've always viewed that as just kind of cheap pizza. Yeah. It's not the regular pizza I get or the special pizza I get, you know, which is obviously deep dish pizza. Oh, yeah. That's special occasion oh, pizza. Yeah. You know, thankfully, my favorite pizza place in Milwaukee delivers out, you know, to my area, which I can't believe. <laughs> you know, and that's New York style pizza. And so. Cool. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. The last question then is you're going to get a pet finally. Okay. Are you going to get a dog? You're going to get a cat. Well, considering I'm so allergic to cats that in an enclosed space for prolonged periods of time, I could be placed in a hospital. Uh, I think my answer is dogs. Okay. (laughs) Good. Good stuff. All right. I don't understand the reason at all, but okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Weird choice, Brendan. All right, buddy. That's it for me. Okay. So mine is two Warhammer questions, a sports question, and two moving related questions. Okay. All right. We'll start with the Warhammer questions. What's your favorite new Rampage of the five? Oh, man. I have to look. Darn you. I I got it marked, at least. The favorite monstrous Rampage, huh? Yeah. Oh, man. I'm going to have to go back here. Oh, okay. I always have liked in the Beast Army's Chimeras. I think they're really cool. Given what they can do and their potential, the points cost is relatively low. I like the Chimera one. Okay. Just to make them the extra attacks. even more punchy than they already can be in terms of that single model. Because one of the I things love that. that you can pair with that that we didn't talk about is the Gave Spawn extra attack. Mm. And you can be plus two to your attack profile. That's plus eight attacks. Because yes. you got four profiles. Yep. Nice. So yeah, I think Gross. the Chimera one would be my favorite. I might do the Primal War for game purposes, but mm. I would love to take a chimera and just have it rip stuff up great my question is very similar to one of your questions but it's a little bit different if you have to keep it in one of the three lineages bray herd war herd which is your minotaurs or thunderscorn which is your dragon ogres mm. what what singular list are you building around you can only have bray herd war herd or thunderscorn but also like the monsters if you needed you know so like Cygors and Gorgons are locked into Warherd, but things like Chimeras and Jabberslies are fair game for all of them. That one actually is easy for me because Mm -hmm. I love Bulgors. Okay. I painted up one years ago when I was going to do a corn beast list, but I just love the models. (laughs) It just Mm -hmm. looked cool. And I got that kind of off-market Doom Bowl. I can't remember where I bought it from. I think it was Etsy or something, but it just looks amazing, and I would love to be able to put that on the table sometime. So, yeah, it would be Warherd for sure. All right. For me. So your favorite sport, baseball, is in lockout or on strike. I can't remember in which case you know their collective bargaining agreement hasn't been resolved or whatever. No. If for some reason there's not a season this summer, which I don't think that that's going to be the case, what sport would you like to see take its place during the summer? It can be literally anything, right? You know, soccer, rugby, cricket, just... Oh, man. Whatever. But, you know, something that fills those dog days of summer where your basketball's not on, it's too early for football, just things that are on TV, right? Yeah. I mean, for me, it would probably be soccer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the one thing I know that we both watch a little bit. Soccer was pretty big for us at, at some point. So I think that would be it if it's not baseball. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully that won't be a decision I'll have to make. Now, in your new place, I know there's two things that you're really excited about. Oh, yeah. One is your new hobby space. Yes. Number two is side-by-side parking. Oh, it's so great. Which of those two are you more excited for? Well, I've lived with tandem parking for 10 years. Mm-hmm. 
I could continue to live with that, although I wouldn't want to. But that hobby space and having that is just way important. Okay. Obviously, with the move, we're going to need a a new lunch place for the show. (laughs) Yes. I'm not going to ask what our new lunch place is going to be. I'm going to ask if you could have a dream lunch place nearby, what would it be? I love how over time the this or that has just evolved into just open-ended questions. Yes. That's, <laughs> it's usually my fault, too. Which, and that's okay. We can live with that. People are used to it now. I don't know. I've eaten at the Cluckery a couple times. The chicken place? The yeah. The new chicken place? Yeah, we, I got it for dinner that but one But we've time. eaten there. I mean, oh, Cindy and I like you went over there. I, yeah, and it was really good. I think I'd like to have that closer. Okay. That would be kind of cool. So I think it would be that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, chicken and tater tots. How can you go wrong with that? I didn't realize it was so tough to screw up mac and cheese, but I just don't think that their mac and cheese no. is very good. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> it's pretty hard. So that's it. Okay. That's it for questions. Mm-hmm. So we are going to move on to show close. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Brendan, do we have any Sunday announcements? Not yet. Okay. Okay. Keep waiting for the battle tone. Yeah. Sometime in March, we know this is going to happen. Hopefully pre-Adepticon. Hopefully. Personally, mm-hmm. I'm okay if it doesn't. Because <laughs> yeah. that's a set of rules that we'll I don't it, have to learn. We'll make it work. Yeah, New stuff at this point in the recording cycle. Next episode, then, what we're going to do is probably... Tournament planning. Talk about tournament planning and all the things that go into it and all the little pieces and parts. And even if you're not interested in it, I think it'll be insightful for you because we're going to be talking obviously with brendan who has planned and executed tournaments before a few um and you may i think a lot of sigmar players brendan even if they haven't really you know thought about it before they may have said well i wonder what it'd be like to do this what's involved and this will give people i think a behind the scenes kind of a look into all the details that really have to go into tournament planning that you don't consider other than, oh, yeah, let's let's get some tables, rent a space and throw some terrain on. And uh, no, there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. Once you have all the stuff, it basically becomes that. Yes. But it's but, all the other parts and pieces that we want to talk about. Yeah, and and, and you got to have a, a good system first before so, you can just be like, like what we had for No Depticon last yes. year, which was basically just, hey, everybody, it's 50 bucks to rent the space. We can have all the tables we need. You know, I'll run it. I have all of the tools to do this. Right. So, But those tools are ones that, again, a lot of listeners aren't aware of. I know everybody who goes to tournaments appreciates all the work that the tournament organizers oh, well, do. Oh, they better. Yeah. And <laughs> This will help you appreciate it even more. So that's it for episode 91. Mm -hmm. Brendan, thank you as always. Thank you. And listeners, thank you for rolling around with us again. We hope this was enjoyable. We certainly are excited for Beast players, those who are thinking about Beasts, and excited to see where they end up in the competitive community. With that, listeners, thank you for being here, and we hope you all stay safe and stay healthy, and we will see you next time around. Bye! This is the